Okay, so before we get to the good stuff in the show today, this question of is violence against the government ever justified? We are going to break that down, dig very deeply into that because the left is trying to paint all Republicans as violent insurrectionists. We will get to that, but I, I wanna talk about AOC, if we may, for a moment, because AOC, Congresswoman from New York, let's, let's talk about what's happening in New York under the purview of AOC. There are children who are forced to wear face masks in school, and not just in school, they are then forced to eat their lunch outside. This is the dead of winter. It is cold outside. They are forced to eat their lunches outside due to COVID. COVID is the reason for this. Wearing masks in their classrooms due to COVID. COVID is the reason for this. You cannot go into a restaurant unless you show your vaccine card. This is private employers that are being forced to act as enforcers for the New York state government. This is draconian stuff. This is, this is awful, awful stuff. Meanwhile, Congresswoman AOC shows up in Florida, the state that I like to call not just the sunshine state, but the land of skepticism, sunshine, and science. AOC shows up in Miami without a mask at a drag show on vacation with her boyfriend. Yes, you really can't make this up. It's remarkable to me sometimes that these politicians, especially the powerful ones and the outspoken ones, are so incredibly stupid as to make decisions like this. Like, did she not think about the optics? Did she not think about the PR of going to Florida after she has ripped Ron DeSantis? She has, she's essentially called Florida and called DeSantis murderers for their COVID policies, yet she decides just to hop down to Miami, not to wear a mask in the midst of this huge crowd of people at a drag show to celebrate her vacation with her boyfriend. It's, like I said, it's mind-blowing to me. And by the way, this, this is her. She's hobnobbing with her, her peons, essentially. They are just so excited to see her. She's acting the part of the celebrity. Take a look at this. Okay, so once she was caught on video and photographed in Florida maskless, she was criticized for this, obviously. Duh, she deserves to be criticized for this. And this is her response on Twitter. This is just gonna slay you. Her response on Twitter is, quote, if Republicans are mad that they can't date me, they can just say that instead of projecting their sexual frustrations onto my boyfriend's feet, you creepy weirdos. By the way, the premise of her comment about her boyfriend's feet is the photograph that was originally or that originally exposed the fact that AOC was in Florida. She's eating brunch or something with her boyfriend and her boyfriend is wearing these hideous man sandals, really gross looking sandals. Um, so she's basically saying that Republicans are mad because they wanna have sex with her, which is, ooh, ooh, this is, uh, this is so weird. This is so egotistical. This is why we have to talk about this. She said, quote, it's starting to get old, ignoring the very obvious, strange and deranged sexual frustrations that underpin the Republican fixation on me, women and LGBT people in general. These people clearly need therapy, won't do it and use politics in their outlet instead. It's really weird. Um, I don't want to have sex with you and I will be criticizing you. It has nothing to do with what you look like. It has everything to do with your behavior. And this is so, this, I mean, this is the behavior and the tweets of an egomaniac to think that any criticism against her must be due to some deranged sexual frustration. Like what, what? I mean, she's, that. honestly, my guess is that she's been reading this, this uh, Freudian Marxism stuff, this Robert Reich stuff, that's Marxism. But instead of being critical, um, instead of being critical race theory or critical gender theory, it has that weird sexual element into it in it as well. My guess is that that's where this is coming from, but so weird. Meanwhile, she lashes out at this criticism and accuses Ron DeSantis uh, of taking time off 
of leaving his state when there's an outbreak of COVID. Meanwhile, that's actually what she's doing. She left her state to go on vacation when there's a huge outbreak in New York, a much bigger outbreak than in Florida. Ron DeSantis was still working over Christmas break. He just didn't have public events on his calendar. And in private, he was taking his wife to her cancer treatments. She's undergoing treatment for breast cancer right now. So there's not even anything that we have to say in response to that. That's a self-own for AOC. Here's the thing, though. Here's what Republicans get wrong about their commentary on this event, on AOC going to Florida. This isn't just a matter of AOC being a hypocrite. This isn't just a matter of AOC wanting you to play by one set of rules and then disobeying those rules and being shown to be morally inconsistent. No, that's how Republicans think. Conservatives think on this spectrum of morality. Democrats and these new progressive, these these squad members, these Marxists think very differently. This is not just hypocrisy. What we're seeing here is elitism. Elitism is different than hypocrisy because hypocrisy means that, oh, whoops, you made a mistake and you accidentally broke your own rule. You know, it's like a parent telling their child not to eat too many cookies and then eating cookies on the sly. No, no. What we're seeing here is elitism. AOC is essentially the new Hillary Clinton. The new Hillary Clinton in the sense that what was the reason that the vast majority of the American people didn't like Hillary? Because she thinks that she's better than everyone. She thinks the rules don't apply to her. She didn't just break her own rule. She actively thinks that she is above the law. That's what was so abhorrent about Hillary's personality. Regardless of whether you even agreed with her on her on her political ideology, even people on the left didn't like her because she thought she deserved to play by a different set of rules. She thought that she was superior to you, that you were the sorry people, and that those rules didn't apply to her. That's what she thought with her email scandal, with the legality of how she handled and mishandled classified information, with Benghazi. It was horrible. And that's what we're seeing with AOC. This isn't just someone who's breaking her own rules. She actively doesn't think these rules apply to her. She doesn't think that she plays by the same set of rules. She thinks she is above the law. She thinks she is above you. And she thinks that this moral superiority gives her legal immunity. Now, she wasn't breaking any laws in Florida, obviously, but her behavior in Florida would have been breaking laws in New York, where she has influence, where she has power over the people she represents, her constituents. Christina Pushaw, who is the press secretary for Ron DeSantis, phrases it a little bit different, but has the same thought. She says, this is not hypocrisy, this is hierarchy. Hierarchy meaning AOC thinks that she's the top of the pyramid and that you are the bottom. This is why this story should be more than just, haha, look at what a hypocrite AOC is. Because this is the kind of government, this is the kind of country that the left wants, where they don't have to play by the same rules. They make rules, and those rules don't even apply to themselves. They only apply to you. It's also, of course exposes the fact that as AOC has said, Ron DeSantis is a murderer and Florida's, you know, handle of mishandling this. And it's so awful how Florida has discontinued mask mandates and opened schools and they don't do vaccine passports, et cetera, et cetera. She doesn't believe her own fear mongering. Because if you were saying these things and you believed it was true, if you believed that COVID-19 was an equal risk to every person, if you believed that masks actually stopped the transmission of COVID-19, if you believed that vaccine passports stopped the pandemic in, in, in its tracks, if you believed that school closures were necessary, if you believed all of these things, then you wouldn't be doing what AOC is doing. You wouldn't be violating all of the things that you are supporting. But because she is violating all of the things that she claims to support, then her words 
obviously she doesn't believe in her words. So her words are then just manipulation. She is trying to, she is saying these things in order to make you believe a certain thing, in order to make you behave a certain way. So think about what kind of politician that makes her. It's not just a hypocrite. The hypocrite is a small sin in what we're talking about. She's an elitist who thinks the rules don't apply to her. She doesn't believe her own fear-mongering, which makes her words just her effort to control you. Her effort to control you in her effort to push her own political agenda, which is control, 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 government control with her in the seat of government. It's horrifying. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, I wanna talk about this article from The Guardian, and the article is called One in Three Americans Say Violence Against Government Justified. They are citing a poll. We're gonna talk about that in just a second because boy, oh boy, this is crazy stuff. But first, I wanna talk to you about stamps.com. If you have a small business, you know that there's nothing more valuable than your time, so stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. You can send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Since 1998, stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send, and you will get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping with Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool. You can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. So save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code, Liz, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in Liz. That's Stamps.com, promo code Liz. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. So this article from The Guardian, I posted a link to this on Locals for anybody who wants to read it for yourself, and I highly recommend that you do because seeing the words concretely does something for you. Seeing the words concretely really, I don't know. I'm a visual learner. I like to see things before my eyes, but this is the headline. The headline is one in three Americans say violence against the government is justified. And this Guardian article is referencing a Washington Post poll that found exactly what they said, that found that one out of every three Americans say violence against the government sometimes, in certain circumstances, can be justified. Now, right there from the beginning, we know that this is being portrayed with bias. This is being portrayed perhaps even inaccurately because there's a very big difference between saying that violence against the government is justified with no caveats versus saying sometimes, depending on the circumstances, violence can be justified. Those are very two very different thoughts. Well, the actual poll from the Washington Post is the latter. The actual poll says that one in three Americans say that violence against the government can sometimes, depending on the circumstances, be justified. But they're portraying, they're portraying this poll to say that 30% of Americans think that violence against the government is just fine. That's not the case. So let's just, let's just clarify that at the onset. This is what The Guardian writes. They write, one in three Americans believe violence against the government is sometimes justified, according to a new Washington Post poll. The survey with the University of Maryland was released on New Year's Day. 
Five days short of a year since rioters attacked the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to overturn Donald Trump's election defeat by Joe Biden. The Post reported, the percentage of Americans who say violent action against the government is justified at times stands at 34%, which is considerably higher than in past polls by the Post or other major news organizations dating back more than two decades. Again, look at how they're framing this. They're framing this arbitrarily as a poll that came out five days before the anniversary of January 6th. This poll said nothing about January 6th. It didn't ask whether the violence that happened on January 6th was justified. It didn't ask about the riots that were staged by Black Lives Matter. It just said, hypothetically, can violence against the government be justified in certain circumstances? That's all. But the way the Guardian and the Washington Post portray this, they're trying to paint it. They're trying to make you believe that one out of every three Americans thinks that the rioting that happened at the Capitol on January 6th was justified. Again, they are trying to manipulate you. They go on to say, the view is partisan. The new survey finds 40% of Republicans, 41% of independents, and 23% of Democrats saying violence is sometimes justified. Other polls have found that more than half of Republicans believe Trump's lie that Biden won the White House thanks to electoral fraud and do not trust elections. Again, that's an arbitrary statement. It shouldn't have anything to do with the poll at hand because the poll didn't ask about election fraud or the 2020 presidential election or anything, or President Trump himself. The poll just asked whether violence against the government can sometimes be justified. So now that we understand what we're being presented here, this idea that one in three Americans say violence against the government is justified, this should not even be a headline. That was actually my first reaction. Well, no, my first reaction was, wow, this was presented in a very biased way. This was presented in a very manipulative way. My second reaction was, so? Seriously. So, so what? This is not even kind of controversial. Not even a little controversial. Of course, violence against governments can sometimes, in certain circumstances, be justified. Of course it is. This, this is not, I'm actually surprised at the number, this 34% of people who say that violence can sometimes be justified against a government in certain circumstances. I'm surprised the number is as low as 34%. Think about the founding of our country, people. 1776, that we were literally founded on violence against a tyrannical government. Well, I mean, even in the, even leading up to the Revolutionary War itself, we're not, we don't even have to talk about war. We can even, we can even look lower on the spectrum here to just the Boston Tea Party, for example. Violence against the government was against a tyrannical government for repeatedly, what, what does the Declaration of Independence say? Repeated abuses and usurpations. All invariably pursuing the same object to evince a design of absolute tyranny over what were the United States and what would become the United States of America. These colonists in, the Uni- in America, in the colonies at the time, staged the Boston Tea Party because they were mad about a tax that they believed was too high on a beverage that they liked to drink. And I, I say this tongue in cheek, but also, also to point out how much higher the bar is in modern society for what kind of violence we will tolerate against a tyrannical government compared to back then. Back then, the citizens of the colonies dumped tea in the Boston Harbor because they disagreed with the tax that was being levied on them. Now, 
our bar for how tyrannical a government has to be in order to collectively justify or to justify collective violence against the government is way higher than that. And it should be. Perhaps it should be. But this idea that one in three Americans think that in certain circumstances, violence can be justified against the government, this is not controversial at all. Um, There's also a difference. This is a conversation that I've had with different friends, usually male friends, actually, different male friends about what would justify violence against the government or a government uh, a government agent. And the examples that I'll, I'll discuss or the examples that I will be asked about oftentimes have to do with the Second Amendment. Well, if the government comes and tries to take away your guns, are you going to give them your guns or you know, are you going to pop them off? And I actually take a very what is the proper word here? A very nuanced view of this. I do not think that violence against an individual government agent when your individual liberties are being violated is justified. I do not think it would be right for a legal gun owner to pop off a government agent, even if that government agent was trying to forcibly take away your guns. I do not think that's the right thing because I think government or violence against a tyrannical government for repeated abuses and usurpations has to be a collective thing. In fact, individuals may even suffer violations of their individual liberties, violations of their constitutionally protected rights, their inherent human rights. Individuals may suffer that at the hands of the government before collective overthrow of a government is ever warranted. It has to be. It has to be the people, not a person. It has to be the government, not a government agent. And this this kind of discussion, by the way, this should be the type of philosophical discussion that is, that is had, that is moderated among intellectuals in politics, among schools. This should be the kind of discussion when you're learning history that is learned. When is violence justified? What kind of violence is okay? When, when do repeated abuses and usurpations give rise to citizens committing violence in order to defend themselves and take back their freedom? And what, one of the very important things here is The reason that the colonists were justified in how they behaved is because they had exhausted every other recourse. They had exhausted every other avenue that they had to right the wrongs that had been inflicted on them and that were continued or that were continuing to be inflicted on them by the British crown. And so we in the United States now, we are very fortunate that our ancestors did experience that lack of recourse because in our constitution, in our governmental structure, there's an incredible amount or an incredible number of ways that we can petition the government for a redress of grievances. We have the media, and I know most of the mainstream media, the corporate media, the liberal media is compromised, social media is compromised. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of the press. We have our legal system. We have our state governments. We have our elected representatives in Congress. We have so many different avenues that we can protest, that we can make our voices heard, that we can seek justice, that we can expose abuse, that we can try to stomp out corruption long, long before violence would ever be justified. And so, as I said, this this idea that one in three Americans say that violence against the government can sometimes be justified depending on the circumstances. Of course, I would, I, would, I would hope, I wish that this number was higher than it is. Not because I seek violence, I don't. Not because I condone violence, I don't. In fact, we all know 
Who in the last two years has condoned violence? The left has condoned violence. The left has condoned violence against police officers. The left has condoned violence against private property owners. The left has condoned violence against white people. The left has condoned terrible violence with the Black Lives Matter riots and the Antifa riots, all with the object of their political agenda in as their goal. They have used violence to try to bring about that change, to try to bring about that revolution, really, to try to bring about the destruction of our institutions so that they can usher in Marxism. The left have been the ones that have justified violence against government buildings. So we know conservatives aren't the one that justify violence, but the idea that it's controversial because Americans think, one in three Americans, 34% of Americans think that violence can sometimes be justified. It's not controversial whatsoever. The reason, however, let's go back to the bias that I talked about at the beginning of this article. The reason that this article is formed or framed or structured in the way that it is, is because we are just a day or two away from the anniversary of January 6th, the, in, the anniversary of the insurrection, the left calls it. And the left wants nothing more than to paint every Trump supporter, every Trump voter, every Republican, every conservative, and yes, even independents as violent insurrectionists. They want, they want to paint you as being not only violent, but that your words are violent. And they have to, they have to frame articles in this way in order to propagate this idea because it's so absurd. Otherwise, if they didn't lie, if they didn't manipulate, if they didn't structure polls in a very dishonest way, they wouldn't be able to propagate this narrative. And I, I want to talk about, as we are in this week anniversary of January 6th, I want to talk about some very important points about things that happened that day. But first, I want to talk to you about Soul. Today's episode, in fact, is brought to you by Soul. Soul is the sustainable orthopedic footwear company that seeks to enhance your mobility and improve your foot health to keep you in the game longer by building shoes from the inside out. 85% of the population will have one or more foot-related ailments in their lifetime. And a lot of these admittedly unsexy ailments can be helped with a footbed. Soul has created a footbed. They define it as a great place to rest your soul. The thing is, Soul's footbed is affordable. It's customizable and it improves millions every millions of people's everyday foot comfort. Millions of customers rave about this product. Two-thirds of Soul customers have two or more pairs of footbeds. Once you know the comfort, the pain relief, the performance enhancement, and injury prevention benefits of Soul footbeds, you will want them in every shoe you own. Soul has an amazing offer for first-time customers. 50% off if you use my URL. That's yoursoul.com slash Liz your S-O-L-E.com slash Liz, so you can try Soul for yourself. They're so confident that, that you're going to love their products. They offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. It's very hard to go wrong with that. Um, this offer it applies to all items on the Soul store, be it footbeds or footwear, yoursoul.com slash Liz. So January 6th of 2020, the left tries to portray as a violent insurrection. And don't get me wrong, there were rioters that committed violence at the Capitol, and that was wrong. And people who committed violence at the Capitol, which is wrong, should be held accountable, legally and otherwise, um, reputationally, perhaps. But what the left says happened on January 6th did not happen. The left claims that this was led by Trump, incited by Trump, that this was coordinated, planned, and that Trump told his supporters during his rally to go and break into the Capitol. None of that is true. First of all, President Trump did not tell rioters to break into the Capitol. He said to go powerfully and peacefully protest outside of the Capitol. This, there's no evidence, even from the corrupt sham January 6th committee run by Liz Cheney, so 
obviously corrupt and a sham. There's no evidence that there was any coordination of what happened, that there was any pre-planning, that this was a concerted effort in any way. There's no evidence that the Trump administration, any Trump affiliates, any mega-related groups, any America First groups, any Fox News personalities, anybody whatsoever was in knowledge of any violence that was to be committed. In fact, we talked about this just a week or two ago, but Liz Cheney tried to portray text messages from Fox News personalities to Mark Meadows, President Trump's chief of staff at the time, that said, hey, President Trump should condemn the violence that's happening. We gotta get this to stop. She tried to portray that as a smoking gun, which to this day, I do not understand. Why on earth is this a smoking gun? How is this a smoking gun? All this shows is that conservatives and pundits saw the violence that was committed by a select few people, the fringe of the, pro- of the otherwise peaceful protesters on January 6th, and said, hey, we gotta stop them because that doesn't represent our movement. That's a good reflection on the conservative movement, a good reflection on these personalities. So I don't get why that's a smoking gun. But the mainstream media and the left and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and the never Trump right even are still propagating this narrative that this was a deadly riot, that you know five people the mainstream media will tell us were killed. And again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Five people did die that day, but they died of drug overdose of heart attack, of the police officer that died, died of a, of a stroke or seizure condition. Um, the only person that was murdered was Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. Otherwise, the rioters, even the violent rioters, killed absolutely no one. And again, any violence that was committed was wrong, and it was roundly condemned by literally every conservative that I can possibly think of, barring none. The entire Republican Party and conservative movement condemned this. But here's here's my question. The January 6th committee, they claim that they want to know the origins of the violence or the origin of the violence that happened on January 6th. If there was any pre-planning, if there was any coordination, they are sending out subpoenas to basically every political adversary of the Biden administration. Such a coincidence, right? But here's what they're not asking. They're not asking about Ray Epps. Ray Epps is a name that I think that we should all become familiar with. This this is a fascinating piece. I read both of these very long reports from Revolver News. Revolver News is asking about the role that the FBI may or may not have played in the January 6th riots. And this man named Ray Epps, now these articles are extremely long, so I'm gonna try to condense this into a very short summary, but I do recommend that you go to revolver.news and read these articles. Ray Epps is a big guy a big guy wearing a MAGA hat on January 6th who was caught on video. Keep in mind, probably thousands of videos were taken during this from every angle by tons of different people. And internet sleuths have essentially put these videos in order to capture almost every moment that happened in in the lead up to this violence and in the lead up to the breach on the Capitol. So what the mainstream media tells us, we can also see is false based on the video evidence. Well, Ray Epps, this big guy wearing the MAGA hat, is heard on video the day before and the day of trying to organize people to actually break into the Capitol. Now, what's very interesting here is this is the only individual that there is any proof, any proof whatsoever that this person or any person tried to pre-plan an attack. This is the only person that there's any proof was involved in any pre-planning of this attack. But the thing is, 
The FBI initially put Ray Epps on their capital violence most wanted list. He was 16th on this list. Now the top 20 were the ones they were going after. The FBI was going after very hardcore. These were the most dangerous, the most violent. Ray Epps was 16th on the list. Well, what's odd is there have been over 700 people who have been charged in some way or 700 um, charges that have happened to people who were involved in this. Ray Epps, even though he was 16 on the 16th on the list, even though we actually know where he lives, we know what he does for a living. We know what state he lives in, what city we lives in. He's not a fugitive on the loose. He was never charged. He was never even arrested. Now, like I said, this is, I think this is very, very fishy. And it, it, it gets even worse than that, actually. So in January, he was put on the FBI's uh, most wanted for capital violence. On June 30th, both Revolver News and the New York Times actually asked questions publicly, why hasn't this guy Ray Epps been arrested? Because this is the guy that seemed to be coordinating the original breach of the Capitol. And by the original breach of the Capitol, I mean, the Capitol is usually accessible to the public, but on January 6th, it was roped off and it had signs and barriers. It had barriers around it and signs on the barriers that said restricted area. There was going to be no public access to the Capitol. Ray Epps was caught on video directing people directing people while President Trump was still speaking, while there were 20 minutes still left in President Trump's speech at um, the rally across town, Ray Epps was caught on video directing people to remove the barriers and remove the signs that said restricted area from an entrance to the Capitol. Now, it was from this entrance, um, what Revolver, New Revolver News calls the Ray Epps breach site, that the first break into the Capitol happened at around 12.50 p.m., 12.50 to 12.53. Again, this is while President Trump was still speaking, Ray Epps removed barriers, removed signs that said restricted area from this first breach site. Now, this is particularly important because, and I'm gonna read what Revolver News said, quote, both the Pennsylvania Avenue and the Constitution Avenue exits from the Trump speech intersect at the exact peace mon monument barricade targeted in advance by the Ray Epps breach team. So why is this important? This is very important because the first walkway entrance to the Capitol ground that all of the Trump rally, the Trump speechgoers would encounter is the site where Ray Epps and other people who he was directing and organizing had removed the barriers. So again, it's very important to know, as I mentioned before, that the Capitol is generally open to the public. This is generally not a restricted area. You're generally allowed to walk in this area. So if you get to this area that's a restricted area, but there's no sign that says restricted area and there's no barriers, then how would you know that it is a restricted area? Again, a very strategic move by Ray Epps and his breach team to remove this barrier while Trump is still speaking before people had time to walk over there, before Trump supporters had time to walk over there. And when they got there, it looked as if, it looked as if that this was open entry. It didn't look as if they had to cross boundaries and barriers in order to go into the Capitol. So, Again, this is behavior that sparked essentially the rest of those who broke into the Capitol in their break-in of the Capitol. And the fact that the FBI hasn't arrested this guy, hasn't questioned this guy, hasn't charged this guy with anything, this makes no sense given the narrative that's coming from the Biden administration, given the narrative that's coming from the January 6th committee. Why wouldn't this guy be the very first person that you arrest? Because he was... He orchestrated the breakdown of the barriers at the very first site where the very first break-in happened. And yet, when Revolver News 
And then the New York Times questioned, brought up this question because it's a valid question about why the FBI had not arrested Ray Epps. Do you know what the FBI did? They removed Ray Epps from their capital violence most wanted list. It just, he just disappeared. Number 16, the spot just, bam, it was gone. No comments, nothing, nothing. And then fast forward to Congressman Thomas Massey just this month played a video that I'm gonna show you in front of Attorney General Merrick Garland asking this very question. Why didn't the FBI arrest this guy? I mean, we hear him on video admitting that he's trying to recruit people to break into the Capitol. We see him breaking down barriers. We see him leading and directing this. Why, why is he off the list? Why, are, why, are the, why is the FBI trying to pretend that he doesn't exist? This is the video that Congressman Thomas Massey played for Merrick Garland. Take a look. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. All right. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! So I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. What? And Thomas Massey, Congressman Thomas Massey reports that Merrick Garland looked uncomfortable. He looked uncomfortable and didn't answer any questions about this. Now, another, another point that Revolver News makes is about the behavior of Ray Epps. The behavior, not, not just the recruitment, but the fact that at the, at the same time, simultaneously, as he is recruiting people to commit violence against Capitol Police, he's actually behaving in a way that's very protective of police, personally. He's guarding police officers, in a sense, behaving in a way that you would only behave in if you were trained in crowd control, if you were trained in protecting perhaps your brothers in arms. So yes, in other words, Ray Epps, there's a question, is Ray Epps a Fed? Is he an FBI, I don't know, informant, agent? Is he associated with the federal government in any way, shape, or form? Because, again, this, this could all be cleared up very quickly by the January 6th committee. If they had any intellectual curiosity, if they had a shred of honesty, then they would ask these questions. Because if he wasn't associated with the feds, this should be very easy to prove. But if he was, if he was, then January 6th is a whole new ball game. And the American people have lost their faith in the federal government. They've lost their faith in federal law enforcement, the FBI and the Department of Justice and all of the alphabet soup agencies. We've lost faith in those agencies because of their behavior. I mean, the most recent example of this isn't even the FBI and Russiagate. It isn't even the, the intelligence community and how they staged the second Trump impeachment, the Ukraine whistleblower. No, the most recent example of something very much like what Ray Epps appears to be. I don't know. I don't know for a fact. 
I don't know definitively, but the question needs to be raised. But the, the most recent example of the FBI behaving in this way was the staging of the potential kidnapping of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, where the FBI didn't just infiltrate a pre-existing plot to kidnap the governor, the FBI organized it and paid for travel and trained, gave tactical training to a bunch of 'er ne'er-do-wells who were just yakking about it online. They, the FBI in that case made what wasn't a real plot into a real plot in order to make it seem like anybody who questioned COVID-19 restrictions were violent. So this is not something that's hypothetical. This is not something that only happens in the minds of conspiracy theorists. We literally have evidence in the past year and a half of the FBI doing this exact same thing, entrapment. And the January 6th committee should ask these questions. They should. They owe it to the American people to get to the bottom of this because this is very, very shady behavior, extremely shady behavior. Again, the American people have lost faith in a lot of our institutions. And when we talk about these things, when we discuss these things, when we investigate these things, whether it's related to government agencies, whether it's related to COVID-19, we're stifled. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked off Twitter permanently. And we're gonna talk about that in just a second, but first I wanna talk to you about disco. So I think it's pretty universal that if you are a man, you now know that you should be using some sort of skincare products on your face, but you're never sure exactly what to use, so it ends up that you don't do it. Don't you wanna eliminate those bags under your eyes? Maybe your skin is too dry. Does your partner want to make some changes? Are you tired of razor burn? Are you unhappy with the way your skin looks, but you are not exactly sure how to go about addressing the issues? Well, if any of this rings a bell, then you should try the skincare line that my husband has been using recently. He has actually recently asked me for more of it because he ran out. It's called Disco. Disco is a clean skincare brand based in Austin, Texas. All Disco products are created specifically for male skin issues like under eye bags, dark circles, acne, razor burn, oily skin, dry skin, and wrinkles. Their products are easy to use, effective, and affordable. They take the guesswork out of taking care of your skin because they show you exactly how to use it. If you wanna check out Disco and try their incredible skincare products for yourself, then I have a special offer for you. Go to letsdisco.com and enter the promo code Liz at checkout and you will get 30% off your first order. That's letsdisco.com. Use my promo code, promo code Liz, L-I-Z, and you will get 30% off your first order. And thank you, Disco, for being a sponsor of The Liz Wheeler Show. So the American people have lost faith in many of our institutions and government institutions, but also institutions that seem to collude with government officials. And of course, I'm talking about big tech here because big tech is essentially the propaganda arm, the enforcement arm of the anti-free speech crowd in our government. The anti-free speech crowd being the entire Democratic Party at this point. I have not heard a single Democrat, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but as a single Democrat, come out and condemned Twitter for kicking Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene off Twitter? Has there been any prominent leftist who said, actually, this is kind of problematic for a sitting member of Congress to be kicked off of Twitter because big tech doesn't agree with a tweet that she sent? I, I, I truly don't know. This is not, I'm not being, I'm not being tongue in cheek here. I truly don't know if there's a single blue checkmark leftist or sitting elected Democrat who's come out in her defense. Big tech just kicked her off. Now, here's, here's what I will say. There's valid criticism of Marjorie Taylor Greene. You can criticize things that she said in the past. That's, that's valid criticism. Maybe you don't like that she made comments about 9-11 and who actually was responsible for 9-11. Maybe you don't like her comparisons, uh, uh, you know, the Holocaust comparisons. She's compared, she's compared COVID-19 government policies here in the United States to the Holocaust. Maybe you don't like 
her personal attacks, that's fine. That's fine. You can make those criticisms all you want. But the idea that big tech would kick her off under the guise, their excuse for kicking her off was COVID misinformation. COVID misinformation, this is beyond egregious. This is beyond egregious. So remember, the last thing that she tweeted that was COVID-related was a chart from the VAERS database of the federal government. The VAERS database is the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. Now, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System is a faulty system. Let's just be very clear about this. It is a faulty system. But what its purpose is, is when you take a vaccine, any vaccine, this is not just the COVID vaccine, and you have an adverse event to it, you and your medical provider are supposed to make a report to the VAERS system. Not because, this is, let's be very clear about this, not because every report establishes definitive proof that whatever adverse event you had was caused by the vaccine. You'd have to investigate each and every report in order to establish definitive proof, so there's not definitive proof. But the purpose of the VAERS system is to look for patterns is to look for patterns that were not detected during clinical trials of the vaccine. So that when clusters of patterns occur, the pharmaceutical companies are supposed to, and the government regulators are supposed to ensure that the pharmaceutical companies check that reaction to see, or check that safety data to make sure that the vaccine is not causing that harm to an individual person. So that the person can have informed consent or the product can be pulled from the market. So let's just, let's just use an example here. I think there are like 20,000 reports in the VAERS system of deaths after the COVID-19 vaccine. Does this mean that every single one of those 20,000 reports means that the COVID vaccine killed those people? No, we haven't investigated every single one of them. Of course, it doesn't mean that every single one was caused by the COVID vaccine. But here's the thing. What if only half? What if only a quarter? What if only 10% of those reports were accurate. That would make the COVID-19 vaccine, if just 10% of those reports were accurate, that would make the COVID-19 vaccine deadlier than any other vaccine that we have ever had in the United States. And while I said that you can't establish definitive proof that these deaths are caused by the COVID vaccine, common sense tells us all that if you start seeing these clusters of events, say cardiac deaths or blood clot related deaths, all within two weeks of when a second dose of these mRNA vaccines are administered, that's a red flag. So what Marjorie Taylor Greene did is she tweeted out a chart that showed how many deaths were reported in the VAERS system following the COVID-19 vaccine compared to how many deaths are reported in the VAERS system for every other vaccine and she raised a red flag. Again, this chart is from the CDC's website. The CDC is an arm, an agency of the federal government. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, a sitting congresswoman, was permanently kicked off of Twitter for tweeting out a statistic from the federal government's website. Because it contradicts the policy of the sitting administration who want universal vaccination. They're afraid of you hearing the truth, of you seeing the statistics for yourself. They're afraid of your questions and your skepticism. They're afraid of the science. They want you to think that the VAERS system is so flawed because it is flawed. They want you to think that it's so flawed that it's completely useless. Well, if it is, if it's so flawed that it's completely useless, then why are you using our taxpayer money to fund it? Get rid of it immediately 
if there's not some value in it. Marjorie Taylor Greene is off Twitter for good for saying that. This is, this is why, by the way, it's so disappointing that Republicans, when they had the chance, didn't get rid of Section 230. Section 230, getting rid of it, will not solve the big tech problem entirely, but it will help. It will help because what Twitter is doing by deciding that Marjorie Taylor Greene is not allowed to tweet out a government statistic collected on a government website, they're acting as an editor. They are acting as a platform or they're acting as a publisher, not a platform. Section 230 provides immunity from liability for platforms. Platforms being just places where other people can decide what to say and make their voices heard. A publisher decides whether the people are allowed to say or what they're allowed to say. Publishers are not immune from liability. Platforms under Section 230 are. But what Twitter is doing, obviously, is acting as an editor. They're acting as a publisher. Therefore, they should not be immune to the liability that they're claiming. You can't have it both ways. This is why going into the midterm elections in 2022, we have got to make sure that the Republicans that are in charge of our country, that are in charge of our party, are solid conservative fighters who will not bend a knee to the radical leftist crowd, who will not back down in the face of Marxist bullying. Because enough with these squishes. Republicans had the chance under the Trump administration to end Section 230, and they didn't do it. And now look at what's happened. A sitting member of US Congress kicked off of Twitter because Twitter didn't like what she said. They disagreed with her take on a government statistic. It contradicted the Biden administration. It's so, so awful. And as these big tech companies just collect and hoard more and more power, who's gonna be next? First Marjorie Taylor Greene, then who? All right, 2022, this might be the fight of 2022, but the left, oh, I guess it's not really the left, but this is what we might be facing in 2022. A, not just the metaverse from Mark Zuckerberg, but um, AI in the form of a very creepy, they're calling it a humanized robot because the facial expressions on this thing are supposed to look the most like human facial expressions of any robot. And to say that it's creepy is just a little bit of an understatement. Take a look at this. Okay, so as you can see, and those of you who are just listening, I will describe it. It is a robot that has what looks like a police body cam on uh, its chest and a very rubberized skin, grayish looking skin with creepy eyes on the face. It is designed to look anatomically like a human being. But what's really funny, my first impression of this, actually I was telling the great and powerful Jay Hay when I watched this before the show, I burst out laughing because my first impression is these facial expressions, this robot looks like Nancy Pelosi because it only has, it only has capacity to move like half of its face. Super creepy, super creepy. It looks like a majorly Botoxed robot. And folks, here's what I will say. If the government actually gets um, a fleet of these robots, of these humanized robots, this would be justification for violence against the government to take these creepy bots out, to take them out. Okay, on that note, that is all the time I have for today. We have great shows coming up the rest of the week. In the meantime, we always have new content over on Locals, LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. If you are not already a supporter of the Liz Wheeler Show community, 
I invite you to join us now, and now until January 15th, I believe, is the cheapest it'll ever be to join our little group. It is $56 for an annual subscription, and you will get content on a daily basis that you don't get here on the show. So lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.